All right, if you take your Bibles and look in the book of 1 John, chapter number 5. 1 John, chapter number 5. Appreciate your prayers uh, this afternoon and tonight. Zachary and I are going to be leaving uh, a little bit after morning service, taking him over to look at Ambassador. He's already sent him some money, so I guess he's in, but we're going to go over and gather up a few pieces of information, spend a couple of days over there and get to meet Dr. Uh, Bill, I'm sure, maybe go to let him go to some classes and go to chapel. And then uh, sometime in uh, January, he'll be moving over there uh, to go to Ambassador Baptist College. Uh, I had a little problem with that at first. But you know what I found out? I just wasn't ready for him to grow up. And he's 21. He's grown up whether I want him to be or not. But I'm excited about it and... Uh, and so if y'all would just remember us in prayer, we'll try to pick up the service uh, on a cell phone while I'm driving. He can play that for us, and we'll be able to hear what's going on here. First John chapter number 5, we want to pick up with verse number 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Now this word witness, is a, it's used a, or translated a variety of ways in our, our Bible, even here. Uh, in First uh, John, it can—it's the same word for testimony or record. So, if we receive the witness or the testimony or record of men, the testimony, witness, or record of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He hath testified of His Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record. We don't don't have to dig it out. We don't have to imagine. Here's the record. That God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. That's about as plain as you can make it. The only problem comes in is when doubts arise, and we, are, we, we thrash ourselves sometimes over our doubts. Uh, I remember when I first got saved, I'd be all right for a while, and for a little while I wasn't all right. And here's the truth. Let me, let me give you some pieces of information I hope will help you. All of us have problems, every last one of us. And so if you keep looking at yourself all the time, you get introspective, you pick yourself apart because you are far from being perfect, then not a one of us would ever have any assurance of salvation if we did that. So I would encourage you, do not pick yourself apart. Look to Christ. When you are battling sin, remember that God is the one who gave His Son, and it's not something you have to do or try to undo that's going to change anything. Salvation is not something that we did 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. It's something that we committed to and it's still an ongoing situation. I got saved, I was saved, and I'm saved now and I'm going to be saved. It's it's moving, it's not it's not some kind of rigid event like I got married 51 years ago. That's a 
being, that's a, a thing that took place. Well, we're enjoying that marriage all these years. But in salvation, yes, we got converted whenever that date may have been, but it's an ongoing process. We're being saved now. Amen. <coughs> that's not heresy. That's not some kind of weak need approach. We got saved, but we're being saved now. I'm crucified with Christ. That's a present tense statement. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in my human body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're rapidly approaching the end of the book of 1 John here. And we're going to see some refreshing of subjects that he's already mentioned as we go through here. He has dealt strongly with assurance of salvation. God does not want you to wonder whether or not you're saved. God's not in the business of doubts. God's in the business of being plain. And so we've just read these verses. They're as plain as can be. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It doesn't say he that hath the Son and doesn't sin and doesn't have any problems with sin hath life. That's the way some of us read it. It doesn't read he that hath the Son and doesn't have any kind of issues at all. He's saved. No, it just said he that hath the Son hath life. With all of our problems, with all of our, can I say, warts and bumps and whatever other problems we may have, if we have the Son of God, we've trusted Him as our Lord and Savior, we have the Son of God, we're saved regardless of the issues and the problems and the things that we're fighting right now. He certainly continues to remind us in this book that we can have absolute certainty of being saved. I, it took me about three years to get over that when I first got converted. It's torturous. You think, you know, riding high and say, praise God, it's wonderful to be a Christian. Something that happened and be down in some kind of a valley where you think, oh, I don't know if I'm saved or not. How can I be saved and have this thought? How can I be saved and have this problem? How can I be saved? And we'll put all kinds of stipulations on it. And he says, he that hath a son hath life. There's two types of witnesses in our text. Men. We trust men every day. We get in our car, we trust that they built that car and that it'll crank. And down the road we go. We take the witness of men, all, all kinds of things coming on the news. We read a book, we watch something. Uh, we have uh, speed limits. Sometimes we wonder why they got them put so low. Uh, but they put those things there to protect us and guard us. And we know that, that the highways have to have a, a speed limit. Why? Because people who just drive like maniacs. They do in Memphis anyway. I, I saw where they, they caught some guy, a uh, motorcycle cop chased him down. He was doing 105 miles an hour on the 240 loop. That's just a little fast. So we have human witness and we, we accept human witness. Men are fallible, though. Seeing we're compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12 talks about. But men are fallible, and some men seek to deceive us. There's a lot of religious hucksters. If somebody tells you you got an octopus demon as a Christian, you write them off as an idiot. If somebody says that you've got a, a, a spirit spouse... You say, preacher, people say that? Yeah, Greg Glock does. 
up in Nashville. He's an idiot. If you're saved, you don't have a demon. I can't be possessed of God and possessed of a demon at the same time. That's impossible. So men are fallible. And they, they might seek to deceive us. Or maybe they're just deceived themselves and don't know any better. And they're trying to deceive us. God will not, yea, cannot lie, nor will he deceive us. He knows everything and God can be trusted explicitly. In every degree, God can be trusted The witness and testimony of God is on record. God's testimony is that Jesus came by water and blood. Some say that that's uh, his baptism and then his death on the cross. I, I don't think that's his baptism. I think it's a reference to his incarnation. I go back to John chapter number 3, except a man be born of, of water and of the Spirit, he can in no wise enter into heaven, you know. And so a water there... Uh, Some folks say, well, it's the Word of God, but I think it deals with the fact that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So we have a distinction between the human body and then the Spirit. So when we read about Jesus coming by His uh, baptism or by water, I believe we're talking about the fact that He was incarnate. We're not worshiping uh, a, a Christ who was human and then the the uh, Jesus nature went into him at some later point. No, at the moment of conception, the hypostatic union took place. He was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. So when we read in Scripture, he came by water. That incarnation, I believe, is the reference there and his blood sacrifice on Calvary. God has given eternal life. It's the only kind he has to give. It's the very life of God himself. God doesn't give temporary life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have temporary life. That doesn't fit. Have life as long as they're victorious? No. Have, have life as long as they do this? No. He said they have eternal life. Either Jesus paid it all or He didn't. If He paid it all for me to do anything, try to add it to, I'm insulting God. The scripture here says, if you believe not the record that God hath given of his son, you're calling God a liar. And I'm going to tell you, it takes some big britches to do that. God has given eternal life. This life is accessed by faith. This is the faith that overcomes the world, verse number 5 in chapter 5. God has placed in us a witness. That witness is active in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. We by experience receive and enjoy the inward consciousness of His Son in us. Do you enjoy the things of God? Do you love the Bible? Do you fellowship with God in prayer? We're experiencing all those things. Do you have, you say, well, preacher, I don't pray as much as I ought to. Not a one of us here today prays as much as we ought to. But do you have a burning desire? To pray, maybe a, a urging, a nudging. Hey, I need, to, I need to set some things aside and spend more time with the Lord. I need more Bible. I need more prayer. I need this. I need that spiritual. What, what's happening? That's the witness of God inside of you testifying of the, the goodness of the Lord. I receive the testimony of Jesus. I know the reality of it as I live out the Christian life. There's, I've got a number of verses here. John, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter number 8. 
We'll just pick up one, Romans 8. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's an inward witness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. When you get saved, we talk about receive Christ into your life. Quite frankly, we receive the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of God is the third person in the Trinity. And He's the one with whom we have intimate personal contact. And one of these days, we'll see the Son of God Himself. We're saved by what Jesus did. And in the person of the Holy Spirit, we are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ as well, you see. Kind of... Um, twist things around just a little bit, but just to kind of make it as clear as possible. We have knowledge of God through the experience of the Holy Spirit inside of us, testifying of Christ. The Holy Spirit does not brag on Himself. He brags on Jesus. He shall take of mine and shall give it unto you. John 14, 15, and 16 talks about that. God gives eternal life. We've read that all through this book. Saying otherwise calls him a liar. God gives eternal life by his Son. God gives eternal life irrevocably and totally. Let's look up a verse. Look in Psalm 130. Psalm 130. De profundis, they call this psalm. Psalm 130. Verse number 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. It kind of sounds like Psalm 40. Oh, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. You know, listen, that's, that's a big request. There's what, 8 billion people plus on the face of the earth? Untold numbers of animals. Uh, we know that dolphins and other types of fish emit sounds, whales and different things. Just imagine the cacophony of sounds that is occurring at any given moment in, in the existence of this earth. Airplanes, cars, people, football games, parties, family gatherings, all that. Eight billion people and a, a large number of them are awake at any given time. All that cacophony of sounds. And out of that I say, God, hear me, please hear me. He does. He will hear you. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, verse 3, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I want to read another verse or two to you. I mentioned it there just a moment ago, Psalm 40. It's one of my favorite psalms. Listen to this. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry, that great cacophony of sounds. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. What a gracious God we serve. That out of eight billion people, when you call, he'll listen to you. He can hear you. And if I'm calling on him at the same time, he doesn't have any trouble about mixing up the communications. Kenneth Wiest, who's a well-known Greek scholar, said this, that ye may know with an absolute knowledge that life you are having or life you possess. That's what our, our Bible's telling us here. 
This life is exclusively, solely and completely in His Son. Look in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. John chapter number 5. John chapter number 5. I'm going to pick out one verse right there for you. John 5 and verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of God. That's the record. This is the testimony of Jesus. This is the testimony the Father gives. The innermost part of us, the heart of man, the Bible uses that terminology, not this thing that pumps my blood, but my innermost being, lays hold on Christ, having been given assurance that I can do so. John chapter 1 verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's us. That's just another way of saying whosoever. In our soul, we know that we know God in the free pardon of sin. Sometimes I can't explain it like I'd like to. Maybe you've done the same thing, tried to testify to somebody, but on the inside, you know that you know that you've been set free. That bondage, that, that weight of sin that laid upon your soul at one time has been lifted. It's been gone. It's been broken. All that we would live perfect, sinless lives. But one day we will because we've been forgiven by His grace. 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. God's testimony, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know we're having to get a lot of verses, but quite frankly, there's no way to explain what we're reading without getting some other verses to help us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are pa- old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? The Son's witness, John 10. Let's read the testimony of of the Son, John chapter 10. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now someone might say, well, nobody can get you out, but you can get out on your own. Oh, no, you can't. You, you were born 
by the union of your mom and your dad that came together, and God gave conception. You can't change that. You can, I don't care if you may hate your mom and your dad. You may wish you'd never seen them, or maybe you never knew who your physical, biological mom and dad were. Doesn't make any difference. They still are. And by the way, I just got to say it this way. I've never met anybody who said, I wished I wasn't saved. I've met a lot of people who said, I wished I'd got saved sooner. But I've never, and, and, and listen, I've been doing this thing a long time. I've never run upon anybody who said, I wished I wasn't a Christian. Well, I've run upon a few who said, I used to be a Christian. I'm not anymore. Well, I got a text for them too. They went out from us because they were not of us. They'd been of us. They would no doubt have continued with us. First John tells us that. Never met anybody said they wanted to get unsaved. The Spirit's witness. We read one over there in Romans chapter number 8, but there's other verses about this. Romans 8 and verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Verse 14, we've already read, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We're just looking at the record. This is the record of God. Here's what I am to believe. This is what the Bible teaches. I'm to believe that Christ saves those who believe in, on Him, however you want to describe it. I believe. I trust Him. Therefore, I'm saved. That's what the Bible says. You plug your name in there. You've heard that Christ saves those who believe in Him. Do you believe? You say, well, yes, my, weak, my faith's weak. doesn't make a difference how weak your faith is. If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you say, this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the depths of the sea. You know what that mountain is? A mountain of your sin. You don't have to have gigantic faith to get, get saved. You just got to have faith. Not many of us got a gigantic faith. Most of us have very little, and, and we don't have any despair. We want to build and strengthen our faith. I believe, I, there, I trust Him, therefore I'm saved. Jesus suffered for the sin of mankind. By believing in Him, my sins are paid for. They're eradicated. They're gone away. They're done. That's not something I conjured up. That's not something some Baptist conjured up. That's right here out of the Word of God. Well, he says that he gives eternal life. Eternal. Stop and think about these two words, eternal and everlasting. Eternal is without beginning and without end. It is that which has always been and always will be. God is eternal. It describes the quality of the life that we've had given to us. Everlasting is that which had a beginning but has no end. It deals with quantity. I've been given an everlasting amount of the quality of eternal life that is the life of God. You can't get any better saved than that. 
That's what God gave you the moment you trusted Christ. That's what's been working in you all these years since you've trusted Him. And you're on the process of still being saved by His grace. I'm glad He didn't just save me 49 years ago and quit, quit working with me. Uh, and Jesus was speaking to the disciples and He said, I've got to go. They didn't want Him to leave. And He said, it's, it, it's expedient for you. If I go not away, the, the comforter won't come. Well, guess who showed up when Jesus left? The Holy Spirit of God. And he said, I will not leave you comfortless. And the word comfortless there means I won't leave you like an orphan. For those of us that have buried both our mom and our dad, we know that feeling. We know that feeling of being disconnected. You you no longer have your parents to talk to. Now, there's with the Lord, that's great. But still, you miss them and want to talk to them and have fellowship with them. We can't do that. But God's given this eternal life, this everlasting life. And when we leave here, what a day that'll be. This eternal life stands up to all the chances and changes of this mortal realm. So what happens if... Bad things come my way. We've been reading Jeremiah in our adult Sunday school classes. Man, that's bad news. Tough stuff. I'm going to point the sword and the dogs are going to come tear your bodies and the beast and the birds. You know, famine's going to come. I mean, that's some hard, hard things there. It doesn't, listen, no matter what hard thing comes in your life, it doesn't change you from being saved. We're not saved just because things are going good in our life. We're saved when things are going bad. Got the same salvation. My heart may be broken and my my body may be uh, sick and and weak and, and feeble. But it doesn't mean that God loves me any less or that I'm any less saved. Stands up to all the changes and chances of this earthly realm. Listen, the gift of his life never wears out. Never out of fashion. Y'all remember some of these crazy fashions we used to wear? Remember bell-bottom pants? Remember when we had pants that had kind of a burlap type of a weave in them, you know? I had some that were burnt gold and blue plaid. Big old bell-bottoms. I got sent to the office for wearing them to school. Teacher said, I don't like them things. Go to the principal's office. I said, but he said, go to the principal's office, Weems. I said, yes, sir. So I went in there, and I'm sitting in there, and after a while, the principal came in. He said, Freeman, what are you doing here? And I said, uh, Mr. So-and-so sent me down here. He said, what for? He said, didn't like my pants. He said, stand up. He said, I like them. Go on back to class. <laughs> but y'all remember when parachute pants came along? Now it's all the, the thrill. I don't know why anybody do it, they, but girls get these blue jeans with big old gaping holes in them. That, that'll go away. That'll go away. It's just a fad. It's just, just a fashion. Remember when we all, all men used to get butches? Come out here and get it leveled. When I got here, I had a hard time finding butch wax. Went on to Johnny Mises. He had the only two cans of butch wax in the whole county. And I bought them both. But hair fashions change. I mean, I, But the fashion of the grace of God is never going to change. This fashion of eternal life, it'll never change. It's the same day after day after day and year after year. 
It's as good now as it's ever been, and it's going to get better. It's a personal gift. It's to us. There is no person who's so wicked that God will not save them. We talked about that in Sunday school. There's some folks who put themselves beyond being reached by God. Judas Iscariot was possessed of the the devil. In John chapter 13, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, and Judas went out, the Bible says, and immediately it was night. That was the end of, of things for Judas. He was done. He was possessed by the devil, and Judas went to hell. But there's nobody that God can't save. You hadn't met that person and never will. If having Christ is eternal life, not having Him is eternal death. Hell is not some place where you go and suffer till you pay for your sins and then burn up like tissue paper. The people who went, the first person to go into hell, which I assume would be Cain, is still in hell. It's not going to change. It's as permanent as heaven. It's kindled by the breath of the nostrils of God. We just don't realize how bad sin is. There is a distinction, as I've already gone through some of this stuff about everlasting and eternal, though the words are often used interchangeably. Everlasting had a start. I, I received everlasting life October 1974. But also got eternal life October 1974. No beginning and no end. It's just forever. Just on and on and on. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Listen, it's possible to possess eternal life and have doubts, have problems. Just because you have doubts doesn't mean you're not saved. John has written this book, 1 John, To give believers assurance that ye may know, that ye may know, that ye may know, that ye may know. It's all the way through there. And if any man sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Yes, I have sin problems, but i got an advocate who knows the judge. (laughs) He knows the law, and he knows me, and he can plead my case. Hebrews says, ever liveth to make intercession for us. When we're too dumb to even know, pray for ourselves, our Savior in heaven's calling our name out. Over in the historical books was Elijah. Elisha had uh, uh, been involved with a, a woman who uh, built a place for him. I think it was Elijah. Sometimes get them mixed up. But anyway, she had fixed a place for him to come and he could lodge when he was traveling. Well, he told her, there's a famine coming. You need to go over to this other place and stay. Well, when she came back, she had to come to the king and ask the king for her land back because others had just started using her land. When she comes before the king, Gehazi is talking to the king. And while he's talking to him, the king had said, tell me of the wondrous works of Elisha. And so he's recounting to him, to this king, what Elisha had done for this woman. And then all of a sudden the woman walks in. And Elisha, or Gehazi said, there she is. That's the woman I was telling you of. Now let's put that in the spiritual realm for you and me. When we start 
getting a little nudge in our heart, get a little prayer wheel turning as the old song goes, and we start praying, the Holy Spirit in heaven says, That's, hey, this is the one I've been telling you. And Jesus tells the Father, that's one of mine. I'm making intercession for him. What a picture that is. Assurance causes faith to grow. Faith's not dead, it's alive. With assurance of salvation comes confidence in prayer. I want to take a little bit of time here to deal with that on this thing about prayer. Look in verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. That's a big promise. Prayer is a lot more powerful than we think. With assurance of salvation comes confidence in prayer. The hand that touches God in heaven is the prayer of His people here on earth. R.A. Torrey said, Prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. We can know that our prayers will be answered. It's not a maybe so. We just read it right here in the Bible. The same Bible that says you can know that you're saved says you can know that you're going to get your prayers answered. Now, does that mean we're all going to pray for a Mercedes Benz or a, a Bentley or something like that? Or a Tesla pickup truck? Brother Ronnie wants a pickup truck, don't you, brother? No, it doesn't mean that. It means when we pray spiritually, when we pray for things that are spiritual, when we put our will in submission to God's will, and we begin to ask, God's going to answer those prayers. We can know that our prayers will be answered when we keep His commandments. We know our prayers will be answered when we do those things that please Him. We know our prayers will be answered when we ask according to His will. Listen to what George Mueller said. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His willingness. Two totally different things. Nothing we ask for, according to Ephesians, even what we can imagine, is beyond the power of God except those things that are outside the will of God. God's not going to answer things that are contrary to His will. Moses, King David, Elijah, Daniel, Nehemiah, Paul, Epaphras, the early church and our Lord Himself all trusted in and exercised prayer. Because He hears, He answers. Psalm 65. This is a good verse for you to jot down someplace and hang on to. Psalm 65. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. When it says, O thou that hearest, it implies that he's the one who's able to answer. Well, let's go to Psalm 143 and flesh it out a little more. Psalm 143, verse number 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications in thy faithfulness. Answer me and in thy righteousness. We're going to look at Hebrews in just a minute. But prayer affects us. Prayer affects us. 
Isaiah 40 talks, verse 31 talks about those that wait upon the Lord and said, mount up with eagle's wings. And somebody wrote it this way. He said, we kneel how weak. We rise from our time of prayer how full of strength. Prayer obtains things from God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 15. And we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions we desired of Him. The incontrovertible experience of the saints of God is that God does things because of prayer that He doesn't do without it. George Mueller. How many of y'all know the name George Mueller? Know anything about him? Okay, pretty good bunch. Never advertised. Never asked any person for money, but simply asked God for what the orphanage he was running needed. Over, Listen, he covenanted together to pray for five men to come to Christ. He prayed over 50 years for the fifth one to get saved. And at his funeral, at George Mueller's funeral, the last of the five got converted. He ministered to over 17,000 orphans in England. And back in those days, they just put them on the streets and didn't worry about them. He ministered to over 17,000 orphans during the years. And listen, he started late in life with the, the orphanage. He died on his knees in prayer. They went to his room to give him, serve him his warm tea and no answer, they knocked, 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 and opened the door, and there he was on his knees, been praying, he died, went to heaven praying. At his death, Bristol came to a standstill. Factories and shops closed, people lined the streets. A thousand orphans gathered at orphan house number three, that's where he, he died. And a train of orphans marched behind him, his casket all the way to the cemetery. Let me read a little something to you. This is prayer. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you'd need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for, for you. I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for 300 thirsty children. That didn't happen 5,000 years ago. That didn't happen 500 years ago. The man died in 1898. That's not very long ago. Prayer still works, folks. Prayer still works. The access that we have. Uh, we, we ought not take for granted the access that we have to God. 
except God had made an open offer for us to approach to Him, we'd be barred. We'd be banned. Let me read to you what God's done for us, though. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us that through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In the Old Testament, Esther was married to King Ahasuerus. Xerxes, he's called in other places. And that king had a rule that if you came into his presence, he had a golden scepter in his hand, and if he didn't point the scepter at you, the soldiers would come get you, put a black bag over your head, drag you off, and cut your head off. You had to be welcome. When it came out that uh, Haggai or Hagar was going to have uh, Haman, excuse me, was going to have the Jews all killed, then uh, Mordecai went to Esther and said, "You need to go to the king." And she said, "I hadn't been called to come into the king these thirty days." How many of you guys think you'd stay married if you didn't talk to your wife for thirty days? And he, she said to him. If I go in and they don't get the golden scepter, they'll kill me. And she said this, if I perish, I perish. And she went in and he extended the golden scepter to her and the the Israelites were saved. I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait for a golden scepter to be extended. I've got the golden promise of God. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Enter into the presence of God. We're told to enter into His presence with joy and thanksgiving. And I may come with a broken, burdened heart. I may come with troubles on my soul. But He's glad for me to do it. He's my elder brother. And the prayer, the access of prayer is open all the time. Let me finish up with this and I'll be done. If we see a brother sin, verse 16, if any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. This is kind of a confusing section of Scripture. But here's the idea, I think, this is the right way to look at it. If we see a brother sin, instead of telling somebody, we ought to tell God. Not all sins reveal a trail of death. In other words, save folk sin. Save people do sin. Lost folk, every sin they commit on the trail to death. So I'm to pray for my brother, and those that are unsaved, I have to pray for them in a different way. i got to pray for God to open their eyes, for God to let them see that they're on their way to hell. For those outside the pale of grace, they need to be converted. What does that mean for you and for me? It means this, we need to get hold of the horns of the altar as they did in the Old Testament days. They'd go in, they'd grab those horns on that altar, and they would not be removed. Remember... 
when David was going to have a man executed, they said he's got hold of the horns of the altar. You and I need to get hold of the horns of the altar. We need to get a hold of the prayer bell up in heaven, whatever you want to call it, however you want to phrase it, and continuously and fervently and with a broken heart, but in faith believing that God will answer. Let's get, a, get busy about this thing of prayer. The song we sang this morning when Brother Terry and I were practicing, we practiced another song, we we're planning on singing it, and, I, and Brother Terry mentioned this one, and I said that'll really match more what I'm preaching on. I have eternal life. I have everlasting eternal life. I got all I can handle and it's good. But while I'm doing that, here's part of my eternal life. Talk to my father. Pray for my children. Pray for my grandbabies. Pray for you. Pray for your children and your grandbabies. We need to just say, Lord, we believe what you're telling us about prayer and we believe it so much. We're going to engage ourselves in it. We just don't know what God might do if we pray. Can I ask you a real serious question? How many of you prayed 30 minutes this last week? How many of us maybe missed a day, didn't even pray at all? You see what's happening is we're taking the We've gotten so used to being saved. We've gotten so used to enjoying the things of eternal life that we're not living the life. We're not exercising ourselves unto it. You can do business beyond the stars by praying. Doc Sotler scared a bunch of folks one time at Tabernacle. He was reading, I forgot the text he was reading. And he was talking about mamas praying for kids getting saved. He said, some of y'all didn't have any say-so about whether or not you got saved. People were looking. He said, don't look at me that way. He said, your mama prayed you in. We need to have confidence that prayer works. I just told you about George Mueller. He lived 92 years. 92 years. And... Over 50 of those years, he prayed for one man in particular to get saved. We've gotten so used to instant biscuit, instant grits, instant everything, that we've forgotten that some things take time. Let's just keep trusting God, keep praying, keep calling those names out. Keep calling their names out. I need this one to get saved. I want to see my son saved. I want to see my daughter saved. I want to see my grandbabies. I want to see my friends saved. Don't give up. Just keep on praying. God's listening. You may think he's not. He is. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking about.